Greetings, ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this patch video for the web novel First Contact, written by Ralts Bloodthorn, which is available on both Royal Road and HFY. The links for them will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. First Contact, Chapter 54 Buxton's brood carriers were distressed when he got home and it took long moments of petting their soft and warm fur to calm them down. They shivered, holding on to him, pressing their faces into his fur, clutching on to him as they shook. It took long minutes to calm them and when he did, he stood perfectly still, his eyes wide with horror. Humans had come to his house in armor with bright glowing green eyes, weapons, one without armor but still carrying a pistol, they had come inside and asked the brood carriers questions. His eyes had been bright green. He had been carrying a small tube with a flashing light on the end that made the vid screen go blank. There had been a Langtalan overseer with the human, but the human had ordered it to stay outside. The brood carriers told Vuxton that they could smell that the Langtalan was terrified of the humans. The human had come inside and asked to be shown the domicile, then shut the door in the overseer's face. As he examined their little domicile, the human had asked questions. They said that the human had tried to be polite, gentle, and spoke softly and attempted to speak soothingly, but they had been terrified by the questions. Where does a male mate and the female wait work? What shift? What does their jobs require them to do? How many are you in the home? Where are your podlings? Are you pregnant? Does anyone in the home have an illness, injury, or ailment? How much food do you have? Is your food dispenser full of nutripaste? Do you know how to get to the nearest shelter? Do you have a shelter pass? Do you have a pass to be in the street outside after curfew? It wasn't the way the human had asked. It wasn't what he had asked. It was that he had asked. The brood carriers were terrified that during the night corpsec or lawsec men would come to take Buxton away. It had happened to others in massive habitat complexes Buxton and his family lived in. Buxton calmed himself and resumed petting the brood carriers, calming them. He helped them to the bed, fear and anxiety exhausting them, then sat on the table in his kitchen. It was odd. He could smell no trace of the human, like the human had not even actually been there. But he knew the brood carriers would not lie. Buxton thought about it. He couldn't smell Sergeant either. He thought it over even harder. It was like Sergeant wasn't there in some ways. When he spoke, Buxton could hear him, but when he moved, there was no sound. He had thought that perhaps it was a helmet that kept him from smelling Sergeant. Buxton wondered how Sergeant accomplished that. Could he be a mechanical? No, that was silly. Those mechanical eyes, though. Everyone knew that civilized beings, even the most neo-sapiens, could not get mechanical prosthesis beyond an implant, that their nervous system was too complex for crude mechanical implants to work. Buxton thought about how he'd seen Sergeant move, controlled, precise, in some ways almost mechanical, but with a weird predatory smoothness that left no doubt that the human was alive, flesh and blood, most somehow... Different, sitting in the dim light of the kitchen-slash-dining-room-slash-living-room, Buxton turned his hand paws over and looked at them. Dark black ridges of textured pad, fur, and short blunt vestigial nails. He had a grip strong enough, after long years of working in the wax buffer, to lift most of a third of his body weight without losing his grip. 
He was strong for a Tolkien. His grip strong enough that he had built up a thickest pad skin, and many of his fellow Tolkens winced when he touched palms. His wife, Brentilek, came home from her job. She could smell the brood carrier's distress. When he told her what had happened, she became distressed enough that she rocked back and forth, keening softly, tears running down her face. She too was sure that Corpsek or Lolsek would kick in the door some night soon and take Vuxton away. Vuxton soothed her and ate with her and went to bed, holding her between the comforting warmth of the brood carriers. He stared up at the low plas ceiling for a long time. Throw down your maid's throat and pull out a freaking heart! He held her wife close and shifted his feet to touch the brood carriers with a foot each. Pull her freaking heart out! The human's words had fouled him to sleep. The buzzer went off. Wuxton got up carefully, put on his paper jumpsuit, feeling a slight bit of happiness that taking it off and folding it each day that resulted in his jumpsuit still being wearable after three days. He took his phone, his ID, and opened the door to his apartment. He was proud of himself for not screaming or urinating himself, or worse. A human stood there, his palm upturned and looking at the wireframe hologram being emitted from his hand. Buxton felt the fur down his spine and around his neck rise up ardent terror. He was big, had a glowing blue cybernetic eyes. The uniform that he was watched shifted patterns slightly to make the human blurring appearance. A belt with a pistol and a weird hat on his head. You are Vuxton, ID number 6336-234-53456, the human asked. Vuxton nodded, slowly nervous. I am Star Sergeant Nichols, Sergeant First Class Ulganga has assigned me to ensure you reach today's practice area, the human said. You're last on my lifts. Follow me. Vuxton remembered his thoughts last night and sniffed as he followed the human towards the dimly lit stairwell. He couldn't smell the human. Oh, factory masking, the human said as they went down the stairs. Some xenospecies become distressed at a human body odor. We excrete a lot of pheromones. Oh, Vuxen said. He guessed it made sense. Humans probably smelled as predatory as they moved. How long have you been with Corpsec? The human asked. Um, ten years? Vuxen asked. They had seen any action... The human asked, taking question oddly silent. Almost challengingly, Vuxton swallowed. Yes. Where? The human asked. Vuxton remained silent, trying to remember where the riot had been. A riot, two years ago. The human nodded. So, you're an attack chopper pilot. That's who saw action in the riot two years ago. Not ground troops. Vuxton was silent as they went down the flights of stairs. The human gave him odd talk and sigh. Look. Don't lie to me, all right? It's okay if you've never been to see the elephant. I've been with Kistamid Industrial Corporate Security for ten years, Buxton mumbled, and I've been a rabbit for the same amount of time, the human said. Buxton wondered what a rabbit was. That's what Sergeant Ulgunda suspected. Just keep saying what happened when asked, the human said. They walked down the remaining fifteen flights of stairs in silence. Your people aren't physically sensitive, are they? The human asked as they walked down the long hallway to the exit. No, we're not, Buxton said. Why? It's a theory some of us are working on, the human said. Most of our car workers are not either, are they? Buxton shook his head and the human glanced at him. Do you do that naturally or did you learn it from us? The human asked. I had thought that the Omni-Translator had told you to do that, Buxton admitted. Nope. We have been doing it for about 50,000 years since we were like lemurs, the human said. Vuxton stayed silent as they walked out the door. 
He had noticed that humans took extremely long steps to the point I was surprised that his knees did not hyperextend. Again, when it wasn't talking, the human seemed almost as if it wasn't there. No smell, the output blurring him and often matching the pattern and the raw duroplast wall. No sound of his footsteps, no sound of breathing. Do you mask your sound? Buxton asked right before they pushed through the door. Uniform has a sonic baffling built into it, some of the electromagnetic spectrum, thermal and moisture masking. The human raised and lowered his shoulders. Standard battle dress, smart uniform in daily wear mode. Oh, Wuxton thought about it. That would make the human that difficult to spot. If it was a daily mode, Wuxton wondered what combat mode would be like. He remembered that the sergeant knocking on the robot's head off by dropping his boot heel on impact plaster steel. May I ask a question? Wuxton looked around, not seeing any hover bus, only a heavy armored vehicle with large tires. Ask away, trooper. Only dumb question is one that's not asked, the human said. How long have you been what you are? Wuxton realized he had no idea what the human actually did. I've been a soldier, a member of the Terran Confederate Armed Services for about 200 years, the human answered, leading Wuxton towards the ugly armored vehicle. How long do you live? Wuxton was startled. Four hundred years, maybe more. There is options after that. One of the benefits of being a military is that you get the best medical care. Providing I don't get suds too bad, blown to hell, and gone beyond cloned replacements and false growth. Or something really bad, I don't really have to worry about some weird things like how long I can live. The human stopped, one hand on the door handle. Service brings citizenship. Wuxton wasn't sure what that meant, but it seemed like an extremely important to the human who had opened the door in the vehicle to show the large compartment with benches on the other side. The twenty-five beings of his workshop were sitting on the benches with Sergeant standing up next to the door. Up you go, Wuxton, the human said. Let's last one, Sergeant. Wuxton climbed up, struggling a little, side inside as he tore the knee of his jumpsuit. Jura and the Flaxdalek moved over so that he could sit next to her. The other human climbed in, pulling the door shut. Wuxton noticed that it was as thick as his hand and closed with a quiet thud. He barely felt the vehicle start to move and noticed that both humans just shifted their hips to stay balanced. After a bit, the new human, Nichols, looked at Sergeant. Ever seen troopers this quiet in a vehicle and oh dark thirty sergeant? Sergeant shook his head. No, I haven't. I think that may be part of the problem. Barely awake and rocking warmth, the slight vibration lulling everyone on the benches, even him, into a slumber. Buxton wondered what problem. What could be the problem? Corpsec my ass, Nichols grunted. Lieutenant Greaves went around to get department information. None of these guys are security. They were all janitors until yesterday, Sergeant said. If I didn't think it would be cause an inconspicuous incident, I'd have one of the ABIs or DSs cut into their database and find out what's going on. They're coming, you know. It was more a statement than a question, and Vuxton felt a slight bit of alarm knowing that they meant the precursors. Yeah, googly eyes in the orc cloud, Sergeant said softly. We don't have much time. What's the captain going to do about their dependents? None of them are, um... Nichols started to say, stopping an emotion from the sergeant. The ride was silent for the rest of the way. When the door opened again, Wuxton saw it was the parking lot of the wire fence around it, the executor and corpsec and lawsec vehicles. There were overseers in front of five different vehicles, the lights of the vehicles on and the engines running. 
The sergeant broke everyone into groups of five. Vuxton found himself following sergeant along with four others, including Jira, the Aiki Kik, named Kikiki, and the Talcon, named Ostar. The one he'd never met was a Shavashan named Slislavash. All five of them were roughly the same height, and the inhuman sergeant walked them over to the overseer, who was chewing on cud and waiting in his heavy executor armor. I disagree with this human sergeant, Ulganga, the overseer said. Their small arms can't hurt the precursors. Their only chance is vehicle-mounted and crew-served weapons against the precursors if you want to save the city, the sergeant said. Personally, there are far too few troopers to defend the city this size, in my opinion. Luckily, your opinion does not matter here, human, the overseer said. He waved two hands in a dismissive gesture. We understand that the Brico's machines frighten you, but they have been rebuffed from every world that they've been sought to take. The human stared at the overseer, then at the gathered group of five that Buxton was with, then back at the overseer. Then we'll see, the sergeant said. He pulled open the door to the vehicle and motioned to Buxton and the others. Get in, we'll go out somewhere for some target practice and teach you to drive and operate this vehicle. Everyone got in. The human stopped Buxton and having him grab onto the front of the vehicle with the overseer and head himself. The human moved around on the bench and the gap between the back and the vehicle and the bench to allow the overseer's rear legs, obviously taking him a moment to get used to it. Like riding a train at that vehicle, Sergeant said. He shifted and then looked over to the overseer. Let's go. The vehicle drove through the dark, heading out to the city. They drove to a place with old vehicles and parked them behind a low wall. There, the rest of the day, they learned to drive the vehicles, how to use the heavy laser cannon on it. The overseers were happy with their progress. By noon, the sergeant had the other humans made everyone practice jumping out of the vehicle and running to hide behind something, shooting from inside the vehicle, running to the vehicle while stopping and shooting on the way. Repairing the laser cannon, fixing the vehicle, how to patch the harbor fan skirts, and many other things. The whole time the human watched, their eyes bright green. The overseer didn't seem to want to permit Vuxton and the others from learning about the vehicle, but seemed to be vaguely afraid of the humans. The ride back, after dark, almost everyone fell asleep. Vuxton noticed that the two humans in the back of the human vehicle let their eyes grow very dim, holding onto protrusions inside the vehicle, swaying back and forth as the vehicle moved. Vuxton wasn't sure, but he suspected that both humans were somehow actually asleep. When the vehicle stopped, both humans' eyes immediately bright, leaned back in bright blue. When everyone got out of the vehicle, Sergeant walked up to the group. You did good today, men. You're doing your best. The Terran Confederate Armed Services is going to give you the best support. Go home, be with your families. I'll see you tomorrow, Sergeant said. Wookston was quiet and on the hover bus. Everyone else was exhausted, but he stared at the window, not really seeing outside, just staring. He had seen almost two paws of humans. He had counted nine of them, all moved in the same predatory way, all able to move silently and blend in with their surroundings, all of them armed, and all of them with the glowing cybernetic eye of the heavy-duty datalink implants. The idea of being a trooper or a soldier for two centuries seemed outlandish to Vuxen, but the more he thought about it, how the overseer lived for at least five centuries, the more he believed. When he got home, his wife was distressed and so was their brood carriers. His wife had been told to go home early and found out her job was on hold. 
the debt would increase. She had also heard that the humans had been in the habitat building. She was worried about Vuxton working with the humans. She was afraid for him. It took him a long time to soothe them. Dino was quiet, his wife sobbing now and then, but holding it together till they were lying between the two sleeping brood carriers. She put her hands on her face and kissed him and asked him to be careful. He promised he would. It took him a long time to fall asleep. He was awoken by a human touching him. He jerked away and then shrunk back. The human he did not recognize with bright green cyber eyes was standing over him. The uniform was gone, some kind of sleep-looking black armor covering him. His visor was open, drawn back into the helmet, and Vuxton could see that the helmet was padded thickly enough to be tight on the human's head. Get up, get your family, we don't have much time, the human said quickly, quietly. Brood carriers were frightened, clustering up close to his wife as the human urged them to grab only what they needed. Human let Brintelik grab a small book full of hollows and siblings, family of similar podlings so small that you could hold one paw on. He let the brood carriers take the bedding from the bed and hold it tightly around themselves. There was a paw's worth of other humans in the hallway. They had on bulkier armor, making them look huge. They had heavy-looking weapons in their hands, backpacks and tubes on the top. One had a thin antenna coming up his back. The brood carriers flinched back, making soft noises of distress, but Vuxen petted them, calming the peaceful and nervous beings. Let's go, we don't have much time, the human said again. Thirty minutes, sir, one of the big ones rumbled. The brood carriers made soft sounds of distress. Don't talk, you're scaring the gestators, the sir said. They hurried quickly, and the brood carriers panting from exertion as they hurried to the chubby, furry, warm bodies down the hall. Outside, in the street, was a black vehicle on skids. A ramp down, it was dead silent, no lights, just dim red lights spinning inside through the open doorway and onto the top of the ramp. The brood carriers keened their distress, but followed Vuxen's gentle urgings up the ramp. They were upset enough that they regressed to moving on all fours, very low to the ground, soft furry tails curled protectively under themselves. Inside were families of beings that had trained with. Dura's family looked like they were in shock. Their eyes were wide and terrified. Pups clenched to the fathers tightly. Kikiki's family was clutters together. There was some kind of heavy plaz box with a plaz cloth inside that held eggs with a red shining lamp attached to the side of the box so that the light shined on the eggs. Slice of Ash's family was behind her, the little tiny Syrian child trying to look around their parents out of curiosity. Usta's husband was holding a swollen brood carrier, petting her, while the other brood carrier held tight to clutch of five podlings who were looking around with bright, interested eyes. Ruffle, let's go. Sir called out as soon as he got on board. He had a button on the ramp pulled up to cover the hole and even the craft lifted off, tilting almost immediately and making some more frightened beings on board cry out. Sir turned around and looked at everyone. I am Lieutenant Estant, Terran Confederate Army. Your families do not have shelter space allocated or shelter passes, he said. I stent a funny word that sounded a lot like the Terran word for bent spoon. We're evacuing your family right now, CSFV Mercy. It's being designated as a relief ship for families of those we can help, Lieutenant Ben Spoon said. We'll be stopping at a spaceport. Your families will be loaded aboard unarmed transport and we'll be heading back to corporate security building. He turned away. No questions at this time. 
Buxton's wife gripped his hand, squeezing hard. She was holding the brood carrier with the other arm, who was holding the second brood carrier. Husband, I am afraid, Brent said softly. There was a sound of something shrieking far away, but Buxton barely heard the suggestion of the noise. Sir, they're incoming, one of the armored troopers yelled. Drop the corpse, sec, and get us the crate to the mercy. We've got no time, Ben Spoon yelled. Light the throttle. The whole craft began to vibrate. There was a faint roar that made several children cry out. There was a sudden jerk and what sounded to Buxton like a rattling of fireworks somewhere. One of the humans bent down, saying something to Kikiki, who twisted the two plast tubes, the tubes faintly glowing red, and tossed them into a box. It then put more plast cloth over the eggs and put a lid on it, clamping it down. Kikiki's husband grabbed the box, holding it tight. His beak shut tightly in fear. Vuxen saw the human grab another box down, pulling the heavy weapon out of it and sliding it to Ushta. He grabbed a handful of stuffies out of the compartment and tossed it to Usta. But the podling's inside, the human yelled. Usta nodded tightly. His ears flat and fur sweat shined with fear. He put the stuffies in the box and the podlings happily climbed in, purring and growling and yipping with glee. The human twisted another plastic tube and glowed blue. The craft jerked and more firecracker sounds. The human tossed the tube to Usta and then handed across the lid. Another human had managed to convince Usta's wife to cover both brood carriers with a soft-looking plast cloth. The swollen one purred and rubbed her face with it. It looked up and said, Thank you, it's soft, to the human. The craft suddenly tilted, almost 45-degree angle, and Vuxton felt high stomach rise as it dropped suddenly. It whipped out away and went nose-up, leveled out. Craft came to a sudden slow stop. One of the humans put a foot out so the swollen brew carrier could grab on with the rear paws. Let's go, men. Do you want to live forever? The lieutenant Ben Spoon roared, slapping the button. The door crashed open and waved out. Go, 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 go! The human grabbed Usta's arm, pulling him up and moving to the door to jump out. Come on, one of the big ones said to Buxton. I love you all, Buxton said to his family and let himself get picked up. The vehicle turned suddenly and then went back nose up. Love, rude carrier Scintilla called out. Love, rude carrier Intimatat crooned out. Hi, love, his wife yelled. The human holding him jumped out the door. Buxton gritted his teeth so he didn't scream as he realized he was over 200 feet to the parking lot where the ship had crashed the limousines. They dropped silently, the human shifting his grip so that Vuxton was held against his chest by crossed arms. Try not to puke, the human growled. They dropped silently until right at the ground where a sudden purplish flare and Vuxton could barely see. His stomach plunged to his feet and somehow lost all velocity, floating down through the heartbeat to the ground. The others fell next. Look, the human said, pointing into the air. There they go. Vuxton looked. There was a handful of dark space in the particles sweeping across the stars. It's time to earn your pay, a different human said. Follow. The five little Neo-Sapiens followed the five humans, six counting Sir Lieutenant Bennett Spoon, who landed last across the parking lot towards the building. There was no guard at the gate. It was against the car, kneeling down, smashing his face in the side of the car. There was blood everywhere, but he kept doing it. The other guard had just put a pistol in his mouth and pulled the trigger. There is only enough for one, roared out. It staggered the five little Neo-Sapiens. 
the Langtalan beating his face against the car, put his fingers into his own mouth, and tore away his own jowls in a spray of blood that left flat teeth exposed. Let's go, men. Can't help them. Buxton followed, trying not to look. Incoming attack! Incoming attack! Incoming attack! End of chapter. First contact, chapter 55. Buxton. Twice on the way to the building, they heard the scream again. Furious, echoing, it made everyone in Buxton's little group wince, but the humans... The humans didn't seem affected by the scream, although they saw the overseer stagger out of an armored vehicle, holding his head with the other one. His eyes ruptured in the sockets and blood running from his eyes, ears, and nostrils. One of the humans drew his pistol free once the overseer's head virtually vanished. They hurried to the building once inside, and the scream couldn't be heard anymore. Psychic shielding, sir, one of the heavily armored humans said. It was looking outside the wall. Looks old, barely holding on. Looks like it's an automatic system. Then we need to get these guys geared up, Sir Bent Spoon snapped. Hustle it. The rush through the halls. Once the Lankalan burst from the office, swinging a broken or chair, leg dripping with blood, swinging it at one of the armored humans. The chair was blocked with an arm, and the other arm clad shooting out. The hand bent impossibly back and the wrist at the right angle. The heel of the hand hitting the middle of the Langtalan's chest with a crunch. The overseer went down without a sound, sagging oddly. Hurry! Ben Spoon urged. Down into the basement, Sergeant was waiting there next to the crates. There were overseers there, all wearing heavy helmets, all rubbing their hands together nervously. Line up by your squads, Sergeant ordered. You'll be issued armor, a rifle, a pistol, ammunition, survival gear, and rations. Your squad leader will train you OJT for your kit. Buxton moaned to Sergeant and looked. Problem, trooper? No, Sergeant, Buxton said. The overseer looked at the crates and then lifted a data pad. How much does the air equipment cost? Nothing, the human snapped. Buxton felt some hope. We'll assess value later, the Lankalan harumphed. The hope was crushed. The humans brought over boxes, putting them in front of each being. Sergeant pointed at Uster and motioned, Come on! Uster moved, his fur shiny with sweat. The humans spun the box around. Troops, undo the latches! Lieutenant Ben Spoon snapped. Buxton knelt down, undoing the latches. Lift lid! Ben Spoon snapped. Buxton lifted the lid and, like the others, gasped. Inside were armor pieces designed to fit a talcon. Buxton looked over and he saw that the other races had armor that fit them. There was an equipment belt, a pistol, a rifle, all in foam, for reasons that the entire thing smelled of fresh newness. It was impossible, but everyone and everything smelled as if it just came out of the factory line. The humans helped the Neo-Sapiens into the armor. Each piece was fit carefully, felt like it was custom-molded, and covered the wearer completely. The helmets were fully padded, a neck brace and shielding it for protecting a being's neck, but not restricting movement. The other joints were fine. They were slightly heavy, but seemed to be balanced. All right, we're going to be with the basic functions right now, Lieutenant Ben Spoon said. Right now, your radios are automatic, only to me and your squad leaders. We're controlling who and what you can talk to. Don't be alarmed. We will teach you how to use the radio as we go. 
The big thing is, this will protect you from fragmentation, psychic, biological, chemical, and radiation attacks, as well as some small arms. No enhancements at this time. Sergeant Uganga, we have 30 minutes before we need to deploy. There's panic in the streets already, and that can't be helped. Weapon familiarization, camo, and whatever you can accomplish after those main two, Lieutenant Ben Spoon said, turning away. We object. We have not seen what this armor can do, what these weapons can do. How can we be sure that they're safe around the population? One of the overseers said. They're military-grade weaponry. Of course they aren't safe around the population. It's all designed to kill motherfuckers and take their crap. Lieutenant Ben Spoon said. He made a movement with one armed finger. Come here. Come freaking here. The overseers followed the Lieutenant Ben Spoon as Sergeant began showing them what to do, how the suit would protect them and make sure that they had enough to breathe in the right mixtures, would monitor their medical status, and would offer other advantages. Then it was weapon time. The weapon was, to use the Sergeant's term, nasty. Magnetic accelerated hypervelocity shot set to single shot. The selector was turned off by the humans, scope tied to the visor of the helmet to display the weapon status. Under barrel pump action micro grenade launcher, the pistol was a hypervelocity mag shot again tied into the helmet. No grenades, a vibro knife, a canteen that absorbed and purified water from the air, ultra dense rations. It went by quickly. Buxton noticed that the rifle was virtually identical to the one he'd already been taught, just the addition of the grenade launcher underneath. It was the armor that took the longest. Everyone but Buxton was afraid of it. But the humans had taken his family somewhere else, some place that they promised he would be safe, and they would keep them safe even if Buxton died. He was not afraid of anything the humans could do to him, anything that could happen to him. He wasn't important. His wife and his two brood carriers full of fertilized eggs were what was important. He paid close attention to what he was being told, how the instructions went. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't worried. He was just calm. The human Lieutenant Ben Spoon came out of the room with the overseers, the overseers wearing thicker howards than before. All right, we've got our assignment writing started. We're going to be doing some light crowd control. Make sure your people get in shelters and civilian contractors dropped, Lieutenant Ben Spoon said. We must start with the VIP shelters. Your men can handle the other ones, the overseer said. Lieutenant Ben Spoon nodded. We're to assist the hosts in ensuring that VIP shelters are guarded. He looked at the other humans. They jumped in across the system. We don't have the hours or days that we were hoping for. We're going to have to take it as it comes. How bad is it, sir? One of the humans that Buxton wasn't familiar with asked. This was silence for a second. Oh, let's go, men was all the Lieutenant Ben Spoon said. Squad leaders, take command. Listen to your civilian liaisons. Follow the Terran Confederacy Uniform Code of Military Justice at all times. And remember, it's standing versus local laws. The human paused for a moment. Move out. First squad with me, Sergeant said. Buxton moved over to him, the others following. Three humans joined him, making the group nine total. Eleven with the two overseers. The little group moved to outside where the vehicle was waiting, the same open middle truck with the heavy laser cannon and armored box that Buxton had been trained on only yesterday. It felt like forever ago to Buxton. 
There was a Langtelan upfront driving. One of the two that had been inside climbed in next to the overseer, closing the door. The other one climbed to the open bay and stood behind the pintle-mounted laser cannon. Sergeant and the three humans, Buxton and the others, climbed in. Sergeant had them sit on the benches and then put two humans on one side, himself and the other human on the other side. It had started raining again. Buxton felt as if there were tears of the brood carriers, soft, loving beings who cared so gently for the podlings and only asked to be loved. The vehicle pulled out onto the rainy streets, hover fans spraying water across the fronts of the buildings and walkways. Buxton pushed his chin to see if it would work and the helmet beeped and he pressed the tab and tasted like a fruit against his lower lip. He opened his mouth, he used his tongue and I put it in his mouth and then started chewing. It didn't dissolve, it was slightly sticky and felt good to chew. He liked the taste. Buxton, are you alright? Sergeant asked. All right, Sergeant, Buxton said. I wanted to try a nibble. It's gum. You chew it until it completely dissolves, Sergeant said. You don't have to keep swallowing and getting them. All right, Sergeant, Buxton said. He kept chewing on the stick as he moved through the darkness. The others kept moving their heads like they were talking. The Sergeant tabbed Buxton to watch out. The biorhythms were too steady, too calm, for what amounted to a civilian riding into what could be battle after only three days' training. The Unified Medical Council claimed that they took care of people, made sure that they didn't suffer from psychiatric issues. But after five days, he'd become convinced that they'd lie just about the color of the sky. The vehicle slowed down after half an hour, coming to a stop in front of one of the thick tubes. Buxton had wondered, now and then, what they were. Now he understood. Doors had opened, revealing an elevator with padded seats. Overseers were waiting in line, even as the crowd slowly grew, showing their ID and being allowed to inside. There was only one Langtelan without armor or a weapon, just a helmet. Buxton noticed that the overseer inside the bunker were wearing thick headsets, even the smaller ones. The group up front got out and went to the door, standing on either side of it. The former driver took the scanner and began scanning ID cards. The two had the door clopped over to the truck, pulled out the armor, and began getting dressed. Once they were dressed, they pushed their way into the crowd and set up repulsive barriers to keep the crowd from closing the gap to the elevator. Once that was done, they stood at the entrance, directly linked to lands into a gap once they showed ID. We make sure that nobody who is not authorized goes into the shelter. The overseer behind the gun said to Sergeant, Yes, we yes, Ulganga, appeared at the top right of Buxton's visor. Sounds straight, Sergeant said. The next part came across the helmets. Mixon, Donovan, Lacar, set four subsonics according to your harmonics guide. We are going to calming. The three humans nodded and Buxton heard, Yes, Sergeant, from all three different voices. His visor flashed and three names when each one spoke. Buxton found the tech amazing. The crowd was getting larger and started to push on the repulsive barricade. There was some screaming and Buxton saw a crowd tech get pushed against the repulsive field till his clothing burst into flame. The crowd moved away, screaming, and the body fell to the ground only to be stomped by the gathered panic crowd. We're going to want to start that subsonic sergeant. The human said, according to the mixin, it was going to be one who spoke. Sergeant turned to the overseer. My men can use subsonics to calm the crowd. It's a Terran crown control device. Subsonics are not always safe. Permission denied. 
The overseer said, You heard him? No subsonics, the sergeant said. He might be right. Some of these Xeno species might react badly. Lankalan were moving through the gap and the crowd groaned as the door slid shut. Vuxton noted that there was still Lankalan waiting patiently in line. Many in the back of the crowd started to turn away, the knot of the crowd loosening even as more people came streaming out the alleys. From out of the buildings and from down the street, some were screaming. Then it sounded again. There is only enough for one. The two Lankalan at the end staggered. The Lankalan and the crowd screamed. They started attacking people, each other, clawing at their own bodies. Vuxton saw a child Lankalan knock out an adult over that was his knees screaming and being trampled on it, screaming, her eye sockets empty and bloody. The doors opened on the shelter's tubes. The screaming Lankalan bolted into the elevator, screaming, trampling and hitting and tearing at the four guards inside. The crowd began to melt at the back, running away and crying out in fear. Vuxton saw it happen. The Lankalan at the heavy laser lowered the cannon, pulled the trigger and raked it across the crowd. It was only for a second, maybe two... The heavy laser strobing red sliced out, converting flesh to steam, causing whoever it touched to explode into bloody rags as the vehicle-mounted weapon meant to be used on armor blew apart a crowd of hundreds with a single sweep. The sergeant grabbed a weapon, lifting it up with a scream and warping metal, pulling the beam up and across the building where it blew through the walls, through the floors, and exited out the other side and shot into the sky. Mother... The corporal Lacar yelled out over the suit radio. He grabbed the Lankalan, putting him away from the cannon by the shoulders of his armor. The Lankalan pulled his pistol and shot Lacar square in the head with his heavy ion pistol. The human's armored helmet didn't even move. Don't touch me, the human shouted. The human yanked, throwing the armored overseer out of the vehicle, across the street and hit the side of the building nearly two stories up and vanished with a crash of shattering macroplast. The few remaining ones stand pushed into the elevator, screaming, fighting with the Lankalan stopping on the dying guards. One of the beings who had ran into the elevator lunged up, holding a guard's ID card, snapping it against something Vuxton could not see. The elevator doors closed. One of the ones at the end fired his rifle at the human just in the front of the vehicle. The ion bolt hit, but the human didn't stagger. Sergeant drew his pistol and fired, blowing the top half almost completely off the lower half. Vuxton got his rifle up, aiming at the last length to land. His visor flashed friendly, and the length to land was surrounded by blue. The sergeant fired again and blew chunks of the size of Vuxton out of the length to land's lower section. Both halves collapsed into the street. We're screwed, Mixon said softly as they stood there. We'll get legal to sort it out, Sergeant said. No, look up, Mixon pointed. Vuxton looked up at the same time as everyone else. Something was falling from the sky, something huge, something burning. From entering the atmosphere too fast, it fell, lights lancing down from the weapons of the strike at it, making bright flashes of light erupt from the top. It fell sideways, dropping, tumbling it hit the ground outside the city. They're landing, Wooster said, his voice trembling with fear. Good, we can kill them on the ground, Trooper, Donovan stated. V-Core alert, multiple Jotun devastated, destructor Bala landings planet-wide. Prepare to defend yourselves and your area of operations. Nothing follows.
Brentelik stared wide-eyes as she left the black transport. It was in the large white bay. Humans running everywhere. She held the hands of the brood carriers, both of whom had wrapped their bedding around themselves and were hiding inside of it. The human soldiers stayed on the craft, one waving. Sinthalala shied way back inside her blanket cocoon. Right this way, please, right this way. We need to clear the landing bay. All dropships are needed. A human in a white armor and red crescent and a red cross on the other side said. It was a female, although Brentlick couldn't tell. Follow the humans, loved ones. Brentlick told her brood carriers. She knew that they would be easily startled, protective of their beddies full of fertilized eggs. They followed, and Brenda looked holding on to the hands of her brood carriers. She was led through twisting corridors until she reached a room with a comfortable nest on the far side. Twice, the ship shuddered, and once the lights dimmed for a split second before coming back on. Go in, make yourselves comfortable, the human said. There is nothing to worry about. As soon as the ship is loaded, we're going to evacuate you to a safer world. My husband, Brenda looked, said. What of him? The female human was silent for a moment. He's on the ground, helping refugees get to shelters. Can speak? Ilmatat asked in a soft voice. The human knelt down, reaching out and gently stroking the brood carrier's face with one armored hand. No, I'm sorry. He's very busy saving other brood carriers and podlings. Oh, it's good, Emmatat said, then turned away and hurried to the nest. Hiding its side. Go lay down, Cynthala, Brentelux said. The brood carrier nodded, snuffling slightly with sadness that Vuxton wasn't here. Love Vuxton, she said. Then she scurried over next to her sister. Brentelux moved out of the hallway and motioned to the human. The human moved out, showing Brentelux how the door could be shut, but leaving it open so that the brood carriers could see Brentelux. We are in debt. Thirty years for both my husband and I. We cannot pay for this, she told the human. The human knelt down, staring in her eyes. Her visor cleared and she saw that half of the human's face, softer than a male's, but strangely hard, was black metal. Service, ring citizenship, was all that she said. End of chapter and that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.